sorry, we're having some difficulties here. Um, Jesus Christ, he gave them the authority. And so when we take a look at this, I'm just going to go to my notes, David, and we'll just wing it, okay? Good luck. (laughs) So if you have a Bible or um, maybe an app in front of you, we're in Matthew chapter 10. David will try to catch us up. It says that he gave them authority, and then in verses 2 through 4, it says the names of the twelve apostles are these. First Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon of of Canaan, and Judas Iscariot, and I love how they always mention, if you notice they mention Judas, they always say, who betrayed him. Matthew was recounting this day when Jesus sent them away on their very first mission trip. In verse, if you read on in verse 5, it says this, Then Jesus... These twelve Jesus sent out and instructed them. And first of all, he said this, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter into the town or and enter not into the town of the Samaritans, but go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. First of all, he told who their audience was going to be. And I, I found this was an interesting audience because, you know, in my mind, Jesus Christ was for everybody, but Jesus Christ went first to the Jewish people because God's goal always was, I'm going to start with the Jewish people, I'm going to make them an example, and then everybody will be drawn to them, and then they can tell everybody about the good news of me. See, that's the same thing that God does with each one of us. He says, I've placed the good news inside of you, and now, because it's inside of you, people are going to see the good news, and they're going to be drawn to you. But even right before church, I'm having a conversation with somebody in our church, and they talked about the fact that one of the people that's hardest to work with at work is a Christian. The one that's being a pill and hard to work with during COVID times isn't, isn't people out, out there, it's people in here. But Jesus was calling them to an audience, and the audience was the Jewish people. In verse 7 he says this, And proclaim as you go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now if you went back to chapter 4, verse 3, you would find out that that was a message that Jesus proclaimed himself. But if you go back even further into the message of John the Baptist, that was the message. The kingdom of God is at hand. The message is the same today. That's what I said this morning at the end of worship. The kingdom of God is at hand. You need to enter the kingdom of God. And he said this, he said, and heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, and cast out demons. Jesus Christ was basically saying, everything that you've seen me do, I want you to do. 
People have asked me sometimes, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? And when I was going through some training, uh, I, I had that question, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? And the man doing the training is, he says, being a disciple of Jesus Christ is having the ability to train people in everything you know about God. And I started thinking a very important question at that point, what do I know? But that's what we're imparting to other people. We're imparting what we know. And so he gave him this ministry, and it mirrored his ministry, and it was a miraculous ministry because Jesus Christ at that point was establishing the fact that he was divine, and now he's establishing that the work of the ministry was divine as well. Then he goes on and says something that a lot of people are going to ask right away is, have you ever said, hey, I need some help with something? And then the person looks at you and goes, so how much does it pay? So Jesus Christ got that out of the way because remember, the, the people that Jesus had as his followers, they were mainly businessmen, middle class businessmen, fishermen, tax collectors, different people with different jobs. That's who they were. And so Jesus Christ gets that out of the way in 8b where he says, you received, you received without pay and you will give without pay. In other words, this isn't about some kind of money exchange. There isn't this other leverage to this. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. I've had that experience many times in the ministry. I get the call. Hey, pastor, I have an opportunity for you. What would you want me to do? Well, you know lots and lots of people. Yes, I do. Do you understand that they all need this phone card I have? Right? And I've always said, no, I can't do that. Well, why not? Because I'm selling something better. And I'm not going to sell something cheap with it. Oh, never thought of it that way. And he goes on and he says something and and for those of you who are planners this must have been just hard to hear okay we're going to do faith packing for this mission okay and he says acquire no gold or no silver no copper for your belts and no bag for your journey and no two tunics no sandals no staff for the laborer deserves his food and in other words he said we're going on a whim I was talking to Jonathan a little bit before service, and he's like, I always wanted to go to New York City and see the lights. And On a whim, you went this week, right? Yeah, to New York City. But that's what Jesus Christ was saying. The planners in the group must have been really struggling. You mean I'm not supposed to take anything? Well, what if something happens to my clothes? Don't I need an extra set? Well, what, 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 you know, we're going to be walking what if something happens? What if I lose a strap on my sandal? What am I, you know? But Jesus Christ was teaching them to do something that he did himself. Remember earlier when some disciples wanted to follow him and he said, hey, the foxes have holes and the birds have their nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He was teaching them about living by faith and packing. In fact, he goes on and says this about housing, because I'm sure that some would be concerned about that. It, doesn't this sound like a mission trip? Okay, where are we going to stay? Do I need to take anything with me? And this is what he says. 
And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. He goes on and says, And as you enter the house, greet. And if the person is worthy, let peace come upon it. But if not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake the dust off from your feet when you leave the house of the town. Truly I say to you, it would be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Wow. He says, okay, here's what you're going to do. I'm I'm sending you on a mission trip, but I don't want you to take anything. And I'm sending you out, but I'm not going to tell you where to go. And when you get there, there's going to be someone that will offer you a place to stay, and if they don't, that's okay. Just go on to the next town. These are very interesting instructions that Jesus gave, but Jesus Christ was not asking them anything that he didn't do himself. Jesus Christ wasn't asking them to have a different experience than he did himself. And this is really important because occasionally we have people in authority over us that tell us how we're supposed to live, and the thing that frustrates us the most about them is they don't live that way themselves. And there's a hypocrisy there in what they're saying. But Jesus wasn't a hypocrite. He goes on. And I love this verse. This is one of my favorite. If, if you have not underlined this in your Bible, this should be underlined. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpent and as innocent as doves. You know, one of the things that often happens to us is we're surprised that the world is sinful. And we're surprised at the way that people act. But we shouldn't be, should we? Instead, we should go out with the craftiness of a serpent and the innocence of a dove. You know, probably the reason why I wanted to have the conversation I did with Grace is because I see your innocence and I know how mean the world is. And I want her to have a little bit more serpent in her. You know what I'm saying? That's one of my goals for her. And then he begins giving some warnings. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and to the Gentiles. And when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. It is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. And he says, I don't want you to be surprised by men. But I want you to know that even in those crises, those crises are opportunities. Uh, I was talking to Richard Lalonde this week. I got together with him and Sandy. Uh, They're up here, but because of the frailness of his health, he's not in the room with us. 
And we talked about the fact that it's hard to be frail and healthy. He says, yes, but God's given me so many opportunities. And I talked about my father-in-law who always was excited to go to the hospital when he needed to because he was sure there were people there that needed to hear about Jesus that he could never have had touch with if he hadn't gone to the hospital. That's what he's talking about here. He says, you need to beware of men, but even in the middle of those crises, I'm going to give you incredible opportunities. There are people that I can't reach without that crisis taking place so that all of a sudden you will be in front of them and don't even be concerned about what you're going to say because that's the other thing that some of us do all the time, don't we? We're so concerned. I can't be a witness for Jesus because I don't know what to say. And Jesus said the opposite. He says, I'll let you know what you need to say. Have any of you had that experience before? Where all of a sudden you're in the middle of this conversation with someone and you're like, well, that sounded good. Where in the world did that come from? Our problem at that point is we think, I'm brilliant. <laughs> Instead of saying, the Holy Spirit is faithful. Tells him not only to be aware of men, but to be aware of family. In verses 21 and 22, he says this, Brother will deliver his brother over to death, and the father his child. And children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. You know, I, I think that some of you have experienced some level of this in your family. Where all of a sudden, because you love Jesus, they all think you're nuts, right? There's a little crazy in you. But we don't even begin to understand what people who convert from Islam go through, do we? We don't understand what's happening quietly behind the closed doors of some countries that on the outside say we have religious freedom, but on the inside... There is great loss. And sometimes when we hear those stories, we're surprised, but we shouldn't be surprised because Jesus knew what was going to happen and he put it right there in the instructions. This is the thing that's the hardest for us, I think, at times, is we want everything to be unicorns and happy. But the Christian life is sometimes followed by sometimes, you know, have you ever had the experience? I've talked to Nancy about this before. I'm not sure why that person doesn't like me. I'm not sure what I ever did. It might not be about who I am. It might be about whose I am. He goes on and he says this. Uh, he gives some hope. He says, but, but to the one who endures to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one town, Flee to the next, for truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. You see, there is hope, and that's the hardest part for us, is the enduring part, isn't it? You know, you read in Ephesians, at the end of Ephesians, when it talks about the armor of God, it says this, it says, and when you've done all else, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to stand. We're supposed to endure. He did not say that it would be easy. He said it would be hard. And so he speaks right into their fears. 
And he speaks up first into the first fear that they have, which is about misspeaking there in... Oh, wait, I'm jumping ahead. Because Jesus Christ is explaining something that's really important. Jesus Christ is telling them that they're not going to do anything different than mirror his experience. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor is a servant above his master. In verse 25 it says this, It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher and the servant to be like the master. Because this is why. Because if they have called the master of the house Belzebub, how much more will they malign those of the household? You know, think of what Jesus Christ's experience was. Think about how he was treated. Remember the last time he, he performed miracles? That's what well, you know, obviously demons are letting demons do things and they were calling him the Lord of the demons. And so occasionally when we're treated poorly, we got to remember something. We're never treated any more poorly than Jesus was treated. I'm always reminded of the story of a, a time that I was struggling with a heart full of bitterness because some people had really hurt me. I took that poison and I drank it down. And I was teaching about not being a bitter person, which always seems to happen. And I was doing this first-person monologue. And it was like all of a sudden Jesus and I were talking. And I, and, and, I, and I finally yelled in the middle of my talk. I said, but Jesus, you don't understand. I don't want these people in my life. I don't want to love these people because these people have crucified me. I said that out loud. But Jesus does understand because my sin and your sin crucified him. So then he goes on and he talks about fears. And he says this about fear. He says, verse, in, verse 26, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered which will be, not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear in a whisper, proclaim on the housetops. What he's saying is this, is we don't have to censor the gospel for anyone. Occasionally you're going to be in a conversation, you're going to, you're going to decide for them what the Holy Spirit is telling you to say, you're going to decide they don't need to hear it. I, I think this is just going to be too hard for them right now. I think that there's other truth that they need to figure out first. I, I could tell him that, but that would be a hard thing. And that's not what he's saying here. He's saying there's no censorship of the message of the gospel. And there's no censorship of the message of what they need to hear. And occasionally it's not going to be fun. And it's going to be very unpopular. Are there unpopular topics today? Oh yeah, there are unpopular topics. Are there reasons why they hate us? Yeah. And you know what? It's only going to get worse. Do you know why it's only going to get worse? Is because the world naively has believed that they could vote out conviction. The world has naively believed that they could take this, this, and change it a little bit. I'm hearing it from people saying, well, God doesn't really mean that for today. That, that might be what he said 20 years ago or two centuries ago. That's an old, God, God has got to be progressing and getting more with it over time. Ooh, that's a scary one, isn't it? 
that kind of takes one verse and kind of tips it on its side, doesn't it? What about the verse that said Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever? And just because they are censoring the message doesn't mean we should. Now, when you take a look at the life of Christ, there is great tenderness. And there is an incredible tone. In fact, in John, I think it's chapter 15, he says, I only say what the Father tells me to say, and I only say it in the way he wants me to say it. I think there are times that although we are not willing to censor, the tone we're using is not at all biblical. And there is an arrogance that especially seeped into American Christianity, and it's wrong. And it makes fun of sin, and it makes fun of sinners. It says silly things, and we cannot be those people. So be careful what you post online. Be careful of those little silver bullet lines that you want to use on people, you know. Be careful. But do not censor the message. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body. You see, here's the reality. I never understood this. Whatever we are afraid of is what we fixate our mind on. And whatever we fixate on our mind on and is taking up our mental space is really what we're worshiping. And if we're not worshiping God and fixing our mind on Him, we're worshiping something else that we become afraid of. And they were living in a time where they could lose their life for following Jesus. And said, so do not be afraid. In fact, the third one is interesting. He tells them not to fear unimportance. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. You see, I think that the, it's sometimes in the middle of things when things get hard and things are, our circumstances are hard, we devalue ourselves and we devalue the situation. You know? We get the I'm going to go eat worms syndrome. The poor me syndrome. Because occasionally you're going to have experiences. You're going to experience a mean boss and you're going to talk to your friend and they're a Christian. You're going to, they're going to say, my boss isn't a Christian, but he just loves our church and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, blah. you know, why, why do I have to have the other experience? Maybe it's because I'm not as important a Christian as they are. They must have more quiet times than I do. They must have a larger collection of C.S. Lewis books than I do. He says, don't devalue yourself. Because see, that's what sometimes we do when things are hard. Because this is what we decide when things are hard. If we're selfish and things are hard, we wonder what we did wrong. 
What was wrong with us that this is taking place? And God's word is saying, no, 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 you're thinking about it wrong. I know, I know things that are insignificant. Sparrows are insignificant. There's millions upon millions of them. But I know every one of them. The number of hairs on your head is insignificant. Some of you have more significance than others. But if I know these things, don't you think I know you? And then he ends with just a series of what every mother would do at the end of any talk. These are the realities of what you're going to deal with. This is what like is going to be like. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Hard saying, huh? But we got to be on mission Do not think that I have come into the earth to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. There are going to be hard moments. For I have not come to set men, for I have come to set men against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter in law against her mother in law, and a person's enemies will be those of their own household. And some of you have had that experience. Whoever receives you, receives me. Oops, I got ahead of that. Whoever loves his father and mother more than I is not worthy of me. And whoever loves his son or daughter more than I is not worthy of me. This goes back to that saying that basically says our love for God should be so great that our love for anything else doesn't look like love. That's what he's saying there. In the next verse, he says, in verse 38, he says, And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I have talked to way too many people at the end of their lives who all of a sudden realized that there were supposed to be different priorities, and they say, my life was a waste. I don't want that to be true of my life or any life in this room. Verse 39. Whoever, verse 40 says this, whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives you receives him who sent you, me. The one who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. You see, here's the reality. The reality is that we have to dare to share the gospel with people because even if they reject us, there will be those that don't. Aren't you glad 
that somebody didn't give up sharing the message of the truth before they got to you. You know? He goes on and says something interesting in verse 32, and it says, And whoever gives one of the little ones a cup of water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will have by no means lose his reward. God says that the mission is not just for adults, it's for children too. You know, when we used to go to Nicaragua, one of the things that I would always find annoying is on the work site, there would always be a whole bunch of kids there. And they always seemed to be right where the most dangerous thing could happen to them. And I can remember the first year when I went there, that in my mind I'm like, we need to set some policies on this. And then I listened to my dear friend that I took on the missions trip who was from Nicaragua, Javier. The reason I took him is I was scared to death to go to Nicaragua, but he was a Spanish speaker and he was going to keep me safe. And one night he explained to me, he said, you know, when I was a kid, no one played with kids in my little town. But this missionary came and he gave me a toy. And he loved me. And that's how I found God's love. The next day at the work site, the children didn't bother me. Vicki and David, I'm glad your kids are here. They don't bother us. I'm looking forward to the day when the babies will show up again and they'll cry and there'll be kids running back and forth to the bathroom during the whole service. Why? Because the kingdom of God includes his kids. Now this is quite a list. This is a long list. And this is a whole bunch of things. But here's my question to you as we we begin wrapping this up. My question to you is that God has called each one of us on mission and what parts of this briefing did you need to hear today? You know, I I encouraged the worship team. I said, I want you to read the passage before Sunday and think about it. I think occasionally we need to go back to this John 10, to this Matthew 10 passage and go, okay, this is a reminder to every one of us that we are supposed to be on mission. In fact, there's a verse that goes along with that. If you go to the end of Matthew, what does he say? All authority has been given to me, right? Matthew 28. Therefore, go... And be disciples and make disciples of all nations. We are called to this mission, but I think that some of the very things that he was warning his people about, we're afraid of, aren't we? Well, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. You know, we've, we've become as soft as the culture we live in at times. You know, the culture of don't want to offend anybody. Everybody's right. Is that true? Can everybody be right? No. Are we right? Yes. We're right about this at least. I don't know if we're right about all everything, but we're right about this. 
And God has called us on mission. And so I encourage you this week to go back to this passage or maybe even to the part of it as we read it and said, man, I needed to be reminded of that today. You know what part I needed to be reminded of and why I preached it strongly? Is I censor the message sometimes. I'm, I'm, I'm always thinking about the audience and thinking about what they might be okay with hearing and trying to figure out how to massage the gospel into that instead of just telling it like it is sometimes. I'm polite. I'm reluctant. And God needs to work on that. As we have spoken this today, as we've taken a look at these red letters from Jesus today, what about being on mission is he speaking to you about today? Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, I am so very thankful that you out of your great love for each one of us, did not leave any stone unturned. There was nothing that you wanted to say or nothing that should surprise us because it's all there. And so, God, I pray that we'd grasp the, the hardness of what you've called us to do, but also though the joy of knowing that you're along with it and that you have not asked anything of us. God, I pray for the church right now, and I I pray that they would be as wise as serpents and as innocent as lambs. And that God, instead of praying that other people would come here to be evangelists for us, that you would raise us up to be on mission for you instead. God, great days are ahead. You have opened up the storehouses, and you have taken great care of us. And so now, help us take great care of your message as we proclaim to this community and those around us that the kingdom of God is at hand. God, change the impossible bring generations together and family groups together and flood this church with people that are meeting you for the very first time. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, um, just a couple words of announcement. A couple people that we need to be praying for.